Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Press Gazette Journalism Matters podcast. Uh, thanks for coming on. And congratulations on winning your Index on Censorship um, Award. Thank you. So um, you're an uh, editor of a, until very recently, editor of a website, news website in the Maldives. Uh, for most uh, British people, the Maldives is really only known as a place where uh, well-off people go for their honeymoons. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we don't know much else about it. But, um, you know... Uh, as I understand it, there's a sort of darker side to the kind of um, holiday paradise, um, and and that's where you kind of fit in, I guess, in terms of the media side of it. So, can you just tell us a little bit more about um, the Maldives Independent and how that fits in to the media scene in the Maldives, and 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 how it fits in terms of free press? I mean, are there are, are there other independent media voices out there, or are you, are you guys really the only people? Um, so we were started in 2004 in exile in Sri Lanka. Um, at the time, pro-democracy protests had broken out. More than 200 people were arrested. Some were being tortured. But at the time, all of the media was state-controlled. So there was nothing coming out of the Maldives on what was going on. So the paper, the, it was a website set up specifically with the goal of letting the world know what was happening there. Mm. And keep in mind, there are no wire services in the Maldives. There aren't very few diplomatic missions. So it, there was a sort of an information blackout. The world did not want to know what was happening. And so that is our our founding. So that we have a, um, a massive human rights focus because of that. And then the next year we moved into the country. Uh, we've been publishing for more than a decade now. And um, the past couple of years, though, have been very challenging. Um, we've lost a member of our team. He was abducted and disappeared. 
Uh, our offices were attacked. I've received death threats. Uh, nearly everyone on our team has been arrested at least once. And uh, I was forced into exile last year in September because of work I did for a documentary on corruption by Al Jazeera. So things... We're not the only. We're not the only critical or independent news, newspaper. There, there are a couple of others, but two of them were shut down uh, through a variety of means. Um, they have restarted under new names, but things are very bad for the Maldives press right now. T- tell us more about the um, uh, kind of ordeal you've been through with your colleagues. So it's, it's, two years ago, your your colleague um, was. Um, has disappeared. So tell us more about that, as much as you know, around the circumstances of his uh, his disappearance and what you think may have, you know, caused it. He was um, at the time he'd only been working for us for about eight months, and he was a writer, a blogger, a very prolific tweeter. He was uh, he made quite a lot of he he was known for his incredible humor. He made fun of the opposition, the government, and most uh, he, and but. The pe- the group that was really you know felt his uh, he, the wrath of his humor was uh, um, ex- extremist or radicalized individuals, and um, at the time of his disappearance, there had been this uh, there had been uh, growing radical you know, there was concerns of a growing radicalization in the Maldives. One of his friends had his throat slashed a, a year before, nearly died. It's a miracle that this guy survived. Um, other people who were accused of uh, spreading um, secular ideas online had had their uh, had b- were briefly sort of abducted and their social media accounts hijacked and uh, shut down and independent uh, not independent sorry forums that they were running on were online were being shut down so the, and, and also a lot of Maldivians were leaving the country to go and fight in Syria and Jihad, uh, Syria and Iraq. So it was in this backdrop that uh, the, his disappearance took place. So we believe that radicalized um, gangs, gangsters were involved in his abduction. But what, what was worrying is that we sort of, you know, we did everything we could um, to highlight the issue, uh, to gather evidence of what was going on, but we had absolutely no help from the state. The police uh, re- refused to acknowledge that um, he had been disappeared, that he had been abducted, even though there were eyewitnesses who reported a man being forced into a car and a knife being dropped on the scene. The police came and actually confiscated the knife, but for two years they refused uh, to acknowledge that this abduction, particular abduction, was related to Rilwan's disappearance. And some people were arrested, but they were re- uh, released after a couple of months. And as soon as they were released, they left the country, they went to, they, they ostensibly, or, or, or to fight in Syria, in Syria and Iraq. So, um, we believe the government, uh, Individuals, definite high, high, you know, senior government officials, sort of protected the people who were involved in Rilwan's disappearance. So, what's the sort of um, uh, the sort of stories that you're covering, which are which are annoying the government and annoying other people in the Maldives? What are, what's what's the sort of thing things that you're covering that people wouldn't like, would rather you didn't cover? Human rights abuses, yeah. uh, abuses of power, yeah. um, corruption. Uh, radicalization, gender gender issues, 
um, environmental issues as well. And how, and how is it all uh, you know, funded? How do you, how do you, how do you keep going? We, we used to have a mix of uh, sort of ad revenue and donor funding. Now we, it's solely donor funding. Really? Yeah. Why, is, why is the advertising um, dried up? Um, well, we're a very small team. Uh, we're just six. We're just six journalists. Uh, we don't have any legal or administrative support, and um, it, 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 we just ha we just don't have the resources to set aside set up a marketing team and uh, go look for that funding. So we're hoping. I mean, with the index's fellowship, that to become to diversify our sources of revenue and become more sustainable. What are the other sort of forms of uh, intimidation you've you've experienced yourself and, and the team? Well, so uh, soon after everyone's disappearance, because of our activism around the issue, our offices were attacked, um, and a machete was lodged on the door. And that same day, I received a, uh, a text message saying that I would be the next one. And um, later, um, in April, in April last year, five of the seven members of our team were arrested. So everyone on, on the team has been arrested at least once now. And um, and then the, our office was also raided by the police on charges of attempting to uh, conspiracy to topple the government <laughs> last September. Um, and I was forced to leave the country because of threats of legal action against uh, under a new law criminalising defamation. And this was after you, the office was raided after you um, contributed to uh, Al Jazeera documentary, is that right? Which is exposing uh, corruption in, in the Maldives. Yes. So that was that was seen by the government as like, conspiring with a foreign power to overthrow them or, or something. Yeah, it was labelled as an attempt at economic sabotage at, uh, and part of an opposition attempt to overthrow the government. So what is it that um, has kept you going and, and drives you on? Um, you must have, um, when your colleague disappeared and you received that death threat, you must have felt very seriously that your life was in danger. I mean, what, 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 is, it, what is it that keeps you going? Well, to be fair, I'm not the only Maldivian journalist who's had uh, who's had death threats or the you know who's been intimidated or harassed. My colleagues in other uh, newspapers, one of them, uh, so had a, I mean he was beaten with iron rods and you know lost sight in one eye. Um, barely, I mean miraculously survived from that beat, particular beating. TV stations have been torched. Um, Others have been forced shut. Other journalists have been arrested. Some have been prosecuted. No one is in jail yet, but we are heading towards that. So, um, I, I think I've been inspired by their courage. I take strength from that. But also, I was quite young when I was twenty-one when I voted for the first time in an election, and there was the first multi-party elections in the Maldives. And it was also the first time I'd worked as a journalist. And to see the country sort of how free speech and freedom of expression can really uh, change a society and, you know, flourish, uh, how a society flourishes at free speech was amazing. And I don't want to see those gains being lost. What does um, receiving this um, international award mean to you personally and to your and to your colleagues? Does it does it make a difference having this sort of support? 
It really does. So, um, as I said in my speech last night, uh, really the, the, the uh, email from Index came on one of the lowest points of my time as editor at the Maldives Independent. I had been in exile for six months at that time. My team's morale was really low. Um, and there were questions about continued funding for the website. And I was, you know, for the first time since I took over as editor, I really, I, I, I felt that was the closest I'd ever come to giving up. And, I, you know, the questions of how are we going to go, going to go on and uh, how we make having an impact. So these were the sort of questions uh, we, I was asking myself. And to receive that email from, from the index was, you know, sort of that people care and that we're doing important work and then that they can, not just the award, but the fellowship. The fellowship is going to be a year of the, uh, sort of assistance uh, connecting us with the uh, people who can help us with the challenges that we have right now. So the, the, this makes us, uh, you know, we don't feel so alone anymore. Uh, and also um, the, this recognition and the fellowship really renews our res resolve to keep reporting even on the bleakest of days. And so um, um, is there anything uh, that British journalists or British people in general can do um, to help you and your colleagues? I mean, um, should we still go to the Maldives for our holidays or should we think twice about it? I mean, what, do you, what, do you, what, what do you think? I think it's important that British uh, people keep going, going to the Maldives uh, on holidays, but I would say it, it, it's always good to find out more about the places that you holiday in, about the people uh, uh, who you're giving your money to. Um, and British journalists can definitely help us because... Um, we are quite a young country in terms of freedom of expression and there's a lot to learn from an established democracy such as such as Britain and um, also skills that you know that we definitely need you know skills so in terms of uh, training and that sort of thing yes training uh, reporting on difficult um, difficult issues um, also, you know ethics and all of that. I mean, do you, and do you uh, is uh, British journalism uh, on your radar? Are you aware of it? I mean, we we sort of grumble a lot over here about I know low pay and the various um, libel and, and and issues we have, but um, I guess it probably must seem you know uh, rather more liberal uh, climate than, than than the Maldives as far as you're concerned. Well, it's definitely a more liberal climate than the Maldives, but I have to say, I mean. British journalists have faced the kind of threats we, we are now, so uh, probably have a lot a lot to share in terms of experience of how to deal with such things. Mm. And also, um, I mean, we follow the British press quite closely, the BBC, The Guardian, The Telegraph, Independent, who, all of these papers have mm. written about the Maldives, the Daily Mail as well. Um, so the British press can definitely help by, by writing about what's going on in the Maldives. So what does the future hold for you now? You're still in exile. Can you go back to your homeland or is it, would it be dangerous for you to do that? I think uh, enough time has passed right now for me to be able to go back to the country. But if I were to go back and continue with this job and continue right, doing the kind of journalism I've been doing, I think perhaps it's a matter of time before um, charges are pressed uh, against me. Uh, I think the current government likes to make examples of certain uh, people um, and 
So it's a risk, but it's uncertain, as it always is. And criminal defamation seems to be the main threat at the moment. How, what does that mean? How does that work? Is it... So you get fined up to $130,000, and if you're unable to pay the fine, the journalist who, uh, who wrote the offensive article goes to jail for six months, and the paper, which is fined separately, could... Uh, be shut down. And what sort of articles would qualify as breaking that law, as you understand it? So recently, an opposition-aligned TV station was fined uh, 1 million rufiyah, which is about $130,000, and they they were fined for broadcasting a speech by an opposition um, opposition politician who's, who questioned whether the how much the president had achieved of his economic agenda. That is the sort of thing that classifies as defamation. Okay, so fairly low bar. And and what and what are you personally going to do now? You've you you've got a new job, as as understand Yes, I have. Um, I I work at Al Jazeera right now in Doha, and um, I it's um, uh, it's very different to what I've been doing in the Maldives, but I'm really enjoying the downtime. In some ways, it's. Um, it's good to be safe. It's good to uh, not be looking over my shoulder constantly, and to be learning uh, with really great editors. Well, look, uh, best of luck, and thanks very much for uh, coming on the uh, Press Gazette podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.